Well, we're going to jump into God's Word straight away. And uh, we started a new series called The Rhythms of Grace. And we started it last week. If you missed it, you can just go to YouTube, look up Life Unlimited Church, and you will find the message there. You can even fast forward through bits and all the rest of it. And it would just be a great introduction to the series. And it's launched off at the back of our verse as a church for a year, for the year. And kind of the key emphasis, it's something we do every year was encourage individual people to get a word from God and a verse that backs it up, that just kind of anchors your year. And our verse as a church, or verses, are Mark 3, verse 13 to 15. And it says, Jesus went up a mountainside and called to Him those He wanted, and they came to Him. They responded. He called, they responded. And he appointed 12 that they might be with him. That's such a powerful phrase, that they might be with him. And that he might send them out and to have authority. And so the three key words that are kind of, we take in from that passage is knowing Jesus, growing in Christ, and then being sown into life and into circumstances and different things. And we're focusing more on the knowing and that's where the series Rhythms of Grace comes from. And in the message translation in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus says, come to me. And he says a few other things. And he says, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. And we talked about it last week, and this is just by way of a launching pad, that, that spiritual disciplines are things that we do to be trained in godliness. They're not efforts that we make to be approved by God, to be loved more by God, because He loves you as you are. And But it's a discipline. And it sounds like, oh, discipline. But the spirit of it was clearly outlined last week. And that's why, if you missed it, I encourage you to listen to the introduction to this. But the Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, train yourself in godliness. And I love the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He says, exercise daily in God. No spiritual flabbiness, please. No spiritual flabbiness. But a spiritual discipline is something you do that positions yourself in a place where God's grace can change you. And that's what it is. It's not earning merit points. It's not legalism. It's not ought to have must and all that. It's something you do as training in godliness to put yourself in a place where God can transform you by His grace. And that's the connection to that thought, the unforced rhythms of grace. And we said there were a number of disciplines and we're going to be looking at around 12, somewhere around there. Some are inward, some are outward and some are community connected. And we're starting with the first of the inward disciplines, the study of God's Word. And right now, there's probably a tremor of guilt in some people's minds and thoughts. I haven't read my Bible enough. Please don't go there, just stop it. I want to inspire you, not guilt you into anything this morning. And I hope and pray that this will inspire you as we look at the power of God's Word in transforming us in this rhythm of grace. Out of all the disciplines, there's probably no more important than the study of God's Word. You see, we believe the Bible is God's self-revelation to us, that, that if He chose not to reveal Himself, we could never know 
the, the invisible God, but He chooses to reveal Himself and He reveals Himself through creation, through our conscience, first and foremost through Christ, but also through the written Word of God. And He, he works His principles, His redemption purposes for us and for all the creation are outlined in the Word of God. Only through the Bible's instruction can we understand something of the nature of God, His character, His ways and His will. Again, the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy says this in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17. He says, All Scripture is God-breathed, inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's not just ink and paper, or if you're looking at pixels on a screen, it's not just that. There is the breath of God in the words. It's Spirit-breathed. And that's why when you, you exercise it as a spiritual discipline, the Holy Spirit works with you as you read to inspire, to speak, to direct, to challenge, to make real God's promises. So all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And I want you to catch that, that, that the Word of God does a number of things in our lives, but the ultimate goal is not to condemn you, but to equip you, to, to make your life the best life that you can live. So we believe that the Bible is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God and our highest authority for faith and practice. I just wanted to make that declaration as we now drop into some of the practical things we can do. There's simply no substitute for finding a regular time and place, trying to block out distractions and then just reading and reflecting on God's Word and let God speak to you. And again, I know for some you're going, oh, I've tried, I've struggled. And please don't get the guilt. I'm here to inspire you in it and maybe put a few tools in your hands that will give you an access point. And for others who maybe have just got a little bit lax in it, to inspire you to come again in a fresh way to God. Sir Francis Bacon, known as the father of the scientific method, wrote this. He said, there are two books laid before us to study to prevent us from falling into error. The first volume of the Scriptures, which reveal the will of God, and then the volume of the creation, which expresses His power. And I love that thought, that there's something about connecting to God through the Word of God, but also through the glory and the majesty of creation that just brings a reality of God to your heart and soul. Along the way in these spiritual disciplines, we're going to highlight one or two books that could be helpful for you to drop into and read. And one of them that we'd highly recommend, and this will be in the newsletter and we'll put it somewhere else on the webpage or something, is How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. So how to read the Bible for all it's worth. And if you kind of go, I don't know where to start. I don't know, there's some things I just don't understand, I don't get. Well, this book will just help you frame the context of the Scripture, give you some study keys and guides to reading. And it's actually a book that would be great for some small groups to do together and learn and, and learn how to handle the Word of God correctly as Paul exhorts Timothy to do. 
For those who want something a little bit more to chew on, is eat this book, and it's a conversation on the art of spiritual reading, reading the Scriptures by Eugene Peterson. And at the moment, I'm doing it as an audio book. So as I go walking, I'm listening to it. And if something really stands out, I've also got... Um, an online copy that I can just go and highlight a few things and take some things and chew over it. But the encouraging thing is just to start somewhere because Scripture is a feast. God's Word is a feast. It's not meant to be fast food, okay? It's meant to be something you feast on and it's accumulative in the impact that it has. And you'll have some great days reading and some days where you just go, I don't think there was much there that I got out of that. And that's also all right. Because like I said last week, there are some meals that are memorable and other meals that you had them and you're here because of them. Maybe a little bit more of you than you'd like. Speaking for myself. But... Scripture is a feast, it's not fast food. And this is a really important thought, this concept of God's Word speaking about itself as something you eat or drink. That's something, it's not just an intellectual thing, but it's something that you get a hold of, you get into yourself. Peter says in 1 Timothy, 1 Peter, sorry, 2 verse 2 to 3, He's speaking to new believers as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And I like that thought, that one concept or picture of the Word of God is that it's like milk. And he says, particularly for newborn babes, drink the milk of the Word. Well, what's that? Well, one thought is milk is something that somebody else did all the hard work to make it more palatable for a newborn babe. With any mammal, but with human beings, the mother eats the food, her body does all the work to convert it into milk, and the baby gets all the nutrients, but it's delivered by somebody else in that way. But you'd want that child to grow up and start eating solid food. And so Paul says that now to the church at Corinth, which um, encouragingly is a church that's in a complete mess. You go, why encouragingly? Well, we're not perfect as human beings, as followers of Jesus, as a community of faith. And it's good that Paul speaks into the difficulties and the challenges. And he gets a little bit tense with them here. He said, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. He's no longer using the cute phrase that Peter used, a newborn babe desiring the milk. He's not kind of talking about a spoiled brat here, an infant that's spoiled, that should have grown more, should have matured more. He said, I gave you milk, not solid food. You were not ready for it. So again, there's this concept of us growing, yes, having the milk of the Word, but growing into a place where we begin to find our own meals in Scripture and and get transformed by it. The psalmist delights in the Word of God. And Psalm 119, the longest passage of Scripture or chapter in the Bible, is actually a celebration the whole way through of the blessing and the transformative power of God's Word. And it's put up a chunk to read it from beginning to end. But listen to one of the things that the psalmist says about the Word of God. He says, How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. 
No wonder I hate every false way of life. He's talking about the sweetness of God's Word and its transformative, energising power, but also that it gives you wisdom to discern truth. It gives you an anchor point, a foundation through which you can deal and view life. And we live in a day and age where we are overwhelmed perhaps with words. Everywhere we go, there's words, there's newspapers, there's news comments, there's all sorts of things, there's Instagram, all that. There's words everywhere. And we can almost get to the point where we dismiss words. But words are powerful. And in that, we can come to the Word of God and kind of just rush through it, as I said, fast food rather than as a feast. And we easily tempt to rush into our Bible reading as if it were fast food. I want to take something out of the book of Revelation. Ooh. <laughs> and draw a principle out. In Revelation 10, there's this incredible scene and John is writing down the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what he's instructed to do. And suddenly this angel appears with one foot in the sea and one foot on the land and with a scroll in his hand. And John's kind of still writing down this revelation. And so that he, the angel says to him, literally stop writing and come and take the scroll and eat it. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. The word scroll is actually the word from which we get Bible. Um, and he said to me, take it and eat it. And again, I want you to catch this concept that has been communicated here, is this is not just something to be read intellectually, this is something to be consumed so it becomes a part of you. It's John, it's all right to take sermon notes and I would encourage that. It's all right, and there's actually an outline. If you go to our app, there's an outline of the message with all the verses. But if you wanna take your own, that's also okay. It's actually a good discipline and it's a way of getting into it, remembering things a little bit better. But it's more than just taking notes, it's actually chewing on it, consuming it, getting God's Word in you. Take it and eat it. So it's kind of like John put away his notebook and pencil and picked up a knife and fork and got stuck into the Word of God. He feasted on it. And it reminds us how we should assimilate God's Word into our inner man that it becomes a part of us. Because remember Jesus said, and again, this is comparing the Word to food and these are the words of Jesus as He quotes part of the Old Testament when confronted by the devil and tempted by Him in the wilderness. And He says, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He says, if you really want to live, yeah, you need food, but you need spiritual food. And the spiritual food are the words of God. And that's the wonder of the inspiration of Scripture is that you read this, it's breathed on the whole, by the Holy Spirit. You come with a hungry heart and the Holy Spirit makes it alive to you and quickens things to you. And it begins to be something that you don't just get in your head, it's taken from your head into your heart and it becomes transformative. Because we need to remember this is a living word. It's a living book. 
It's not just human thoughts assembled. Remember, we looked at earlier, all Scripture is inspired by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit moved upon these writers who amazingly kept this theme going and revealing Christ and recording the fullness of Christ and what He did and what He said and what He accomplished. The opening page of the Bible has to do with God's words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth and it talks about the chaos and how the Spirit of God present was moving across the darkness and the chaos. And then it says, and God said. And right there's the formative power of God combined with the Holy Spirit. That's what this living Word does for us. When John, the beloved apostle, introduces Jesus, he introduces Jesus as that eternal Word. And he starts his Gospel in the beginning. The same as Genesis, in the beginning. But in the beginning, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then he talks about how the Word became flesh and we dwelt among us and we've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he says, this Word that was present in the creation and God speaking things into existence, this Word has now come amongst us. Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. And I love that, full of grace and truth. And one of the the struggles we have is when dealing with anything is, God, is it grace or is it truth? And and Jesus says, yes. Now, Now give me one or the other. Is it grace here or is it truth? He says, yes. It's both. And He's full of both of those things. And so as you see grace, you need to be confronted by truth. And as you see truth, you've got to be empowered by grace. Is one of the ways of understanding that. You see, God's Word also lays our hearts open and discerns our spiritual health, if you like. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 4 and verse 12, for the Word of God is alive and active sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. And so in this context, the Word of God can be confronting, but it's confronting so it can transform. It's not confronting so it condemns. It actually points you to life. But the Word of God is alive. It's quickened. It's powerful in the impact that it has on our lives. So I want to give you just three things on how we can engage with God's Word. And I've taken a whole lot of stuff and tried to condense it. That's why I'm encouraging um, reading the Bible for all it's worth and things like that and just expanding your capacity and growing yourself in engaging with God's Word. The first thing we can do, and the Bible speaks about this, is to hear God's Word. And well done, you're doing that this morning, mostly. We won't talk about anybody checking Facebook right now. None of you distracted. But you actually put yourself by choice, including those in our online campus, to say, I want to listen to God's Word. Amongst other things that we do that are a really important part of our service, praying and worshipping and, and building friendships and fellowship and all those things, they're all part of it. But an aspect of it is to come under the Word of God. The easiest way to engage with God's Word is simply by hearing it. Jesus said in one of His sermons, blessed, happy and to be envied 
Rather are those who hear the Word of God and obey and practice it. But when they obey and practice is an important part of what Jesus said. But notice the starting point. Blessed, happy, to be fortunate, to be envy are those who hear the Word of God and then engage with it where they seek to obey it and respond to it. Paul says in Romans 10 and verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of God. And one of the reasons Paul, I think, is at great pains to explain that because much of the ancient world when he wrote that couldn't read or write. And so he says, I know not all of you can read or write. I'm paraphrasing, you have put in a context. But if you just simply hear the Word. And so many of Paul's letters were read aloud in gatherings and sections of the Old Testament were read aloud by those who could read. So those who couldn't read would hear the Word of God, inspire faith and ignite something in their lives as they sought to grow in Christ. And so it's still a powerful thing. But how blessed are we? You can download the View Version Bible on app. I think it even works on Samsung's. It's quite amazing. <laughs> it's an old joke, but it never gets fired. But anyway, maybe to you, but not to me. <laughs> and you can actually have it read it to you. You can read it yourself or you can do, read it and listen to it at the same time. Uh, you can listen to it in the car. There's something about hearing the Word of God that Jesus said, you are blessed, fortunate to be envied. And Paul says it will ignite faith in your heart just in the reading. There's an amazing thing in, in the book of Revelation. The, the, Jesus says, blessed are those who read this. He doesn't say you have to understand it. He says, if you just read it, you're going to be blessed. There's just a thought there. But our attitude towards how we engage with the declared, the spoken, the preached Word of God determines the effectiveness of it in our lives. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica says this, when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the Word of God, which indeed, uh, which is indeed at work in you who believe. He, you see, he's saying, yeah, there's a, a transaction that took place. He said, the Word is profiting you because you received it as the Word of God. Now we need to be careful with how we deal with this. I'm not saying that everything I say or anybody else says from here is perfectly correct all of the time. We aim to be diligent and, and in interpreting, understanding, proclaiming the Word of God. The Word's perfect, the delivery person is not. You all knew that. Don't look shocked. But even so, you can have an attitude towards the proclaimed Word that says, I'm going to believe God will speak to me out of this. I will use discernment. I'll be like the Bereans who went back and searched the Scriptures daily whether what Paul was saying was actually accurate. That's diligence. So they're not being gullible, but they're coming with a spirit of faith to say, I believe God's got something to say to me today, to encourage me, to challenge me, to inspire me, to turn me around from something where I'm heading in the wrong direction. I believe that God will speak to me out of His proclaimed Word. And he says, if you have that attitude, God's Word works in you. The second thing is that we can read God's Word. 
When responding to very difficult life questions, Jesus often responded with a question. In fact, most times, whenever he was asked anything, he responded with a question. But one of his questions that he regularly asked when people were asking him difficult life questions, he says, haven't you read? Rather than just saying, okay, let me sit you down and I'll tell you how to answer it. He says, no, I want you to know and grow. So haven't you read something about this? And what do you think about what is written? So that question, when you are dealing with some of life's problems, it's good to get advice. It's good to uh, read some books and that, but read the Scriptures and say, God, speak to me. Get a concordance, search some words up, do something. Because I think Jesus is still asking that question of us. When we come to Him with some of life questions, He says, well, what have you read? Out of my Word, that can help you, that can transform you. He assumed that those claiming to be people of God were engaged with the Word of God. Haven't you read? He replied. So we need to take on this discipline of regularly reading God's Word. And honestly, if it's 10, 15 minutes in a day, the accumulative effect and impact in your life will be amazing. And you've heard me say this before, those who've been around. If you miss a day, don't get the guilts. If you can catch up, great. If you can't, just move on to the next day. God is more interested in engaging with you through His Word than you telling Him how guilty you feel that you missed a week or so or a few days of reading the Bible. Hello. Trying to help you. So the first thing is make a time. And if it can be a regular time, it makes it a bit easier, a regular place where you can read the Word. And we're going to do something starting on Monday. You can jump on board on this. We always have on our church app, on our website, the devotional thing. It's out of the U version and it's somebody's thoughts. And as Danielle so well said, it's seven days, five days. Well, we're going to jump in deep on Monday, 35 days. But here's the point in it. It's going to be on the book of Philippians, which is actually a fairly short book. And it's going to take one or two verses a day, maybe three occasionally in the context and just expand on it. And if you read it, I've started looking at it. It will maybe take you, if you do it just carefully and thoughtfully, about six, seven minutes a day just to read each devotional thought with the two verses. And in it, the way, the one we've chosen will help with an application, a question to think about how does this apply to my life? And the the point of it is to actually not just take a topic, but a book and demonstrate through this devotional how you can understand and engage with a book of the Bible and therefore beyond that. It's kind of an exercise in training in godliness. And so it's the book of Philippians and it's titled Whatever Happens from the U Version. So the first thing is make time. The second thing is find a Bible reading plan. I've just recommended one and it's great if we do it as a church, including those online. And the third is to just focus on a word or a phrase and meditate on it through the day. And so some of you who may follow me on Instagram, and if you don't, shame on you. No, you don't have to. I always post a verse of the day because it's part of my reflection and my discipline to say, I'm actually going to try and focus on this. And there's some days I go back to it a few times and other days I just lose it completely and I don't go back. But at least I started the day with good intent. 
I'm just being real about this, you know, and, and trying to remove any weight of guilt. Oh, I've forgotten, I didn't do that. No, no, don't go there. God just wants to engage with you through His Word. In Psalm 1, verse 1 or 2, it says, Blessed is the one, and lists things you shouldn't do, but He says, who delights in the law of the Lord, the Word of God, and who meditates on His law day and night. Now the word meditate is the Hebrew word hagar, I think is the way it's pronounced. And it means to meditate, to moan, to growl, to utter, to speak. It's not sort of sitting in the bathtub with candles and gentle music meditating. It's not that kind of thing. And it's certainly not a new age concept. This is a biblical concept of meditating. And I came across something that was really quite exciting when it was awakened to me through something I was listening to, that one of the ways the word meditate is translated is to translate it as growl or mutter, but growl. And there's this wonderful picture in Isaiah 31 verse 4, sorry, as a lion growls a great lion over its prey. Now, I'm going to kind of simplified a little bit for my sake, not just for yours. Hey, have you ever got a, seen a dog with a bone? And it kind of growls over it. You try and take it away from it, you might lose a finger or two. It may, through a week, go and bury it and then dig it up and growl over it again and it chews. It's that picture of this lion standing in front. It's the same word as meditate. It's correctly translated because it's got a richness of meaning. But he's saying, get a hold of the Word of God and kind of growl over it, chew over it, get it into you. Mate. And the simplest thing is, as you come to the Word, is say, God, would you speak to me? Samuel, the prophet, and he became such a great prophet, it says, not one of God's words fell to the ground. He heard everything that God said to him. But he didn't start that way. He started off confused about God's voice. And he heard somebody call him, and he kept thinking it was the old priest Eli calling him. And eventually the old priest thought maybe God speaking to him. And all he said to Samuel was, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. But I want you to catch something here out of the passage in 1 Samuel 3.10. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at other times. I want you to see, God didn't give up on Samuel, even though Samuel didn't know how to hear the voice of God initially. God kept coming back and said, Samuel, Samuel. And eventually the penny dropped for Samuel. Somebody helped him. And all Samuel said was, speak, Lord, I'm listening. And so starts a journey of God speaking powerfully in and through Samuel, the prophet. But you've got to start somewhere. And I really want to, as I said, inspire you to get into the Word, to, to, if it's not already a discipline in your life, to start making it. Start somewhere small, but start doing something. I came across this amazing story of a man in Kansas City who in an industrial accident was severely injured in an explosion that caused him to lose his eyesight and both his hands and some disfigurement on his face. And he was a fairly new Christian and his biggest disappointment was that he could no longer engage with the Word of God. This took place before Bible being read to you and all the rest of it. 
could no longer read the Bible. And they heard of a lady in England who read Braille with her lips. And he thought, maybe I can do that. And so he ordered some books of the Bible in Braille. And as he lifted them to his lips, the damage to his lips, the nerve endings, he couldn't feel anything. And he was so frustrated. But every day he'd lift it up. And one day he stuck out his tongue and he could feel the Braille. And he started reading the Bible. The story is recorded in a book called The Wonder of the Word of God by Robert Sumner. And when this was written, he'd read through the whole Bible with his tongue four times. And I kind of go and please him because I've said over and over, it's not about guilt, but inspiring. With all that we have available to us, what's our excuse? With a listening to the car, reading for a few minutes every day, something that gets us into the spiritual discipline of God's Word. The final thing, and I'm not going to spend any time on this except to highlight it. You can go the next step of studying God's Word. There's the reading to engage. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. I'm here regularly to hear Your voice. But then the studying of God's Word. The Bible says of Ezra that the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Notice the hard engagement. And there's so many opportunities through the various courses and different things we offer where you can just go a little bit deeper into God's Word based on your time commitment, all of that. Whether it's the Alpha course or the Life College course, speak to Danielle, she's got it down pat, she can help you with something. But here's the inspiration behind it all, whether hearing God's Word, reading God's Word, studying God's Word. Joshua, about to enter the Promised Land, encounters the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. And he's told this, study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. There's an incredible promise of success repeated here, Psalm 1, other places. Then in the engaging with God's Word, it builds something into your life that bring, causes you to prosper. And the word prosper is to the fullness of life. It's not just a material thing. It's a fullness of life you'll experience and you will have good success. Great inspiration to get into God's Word. In John's Gospel, as we said, Jesus is introduced as the Word who was in the beginning and the Word who was God and the Word that became flesh and was revealed to us. In verse 12 and 13, it says this, of Jesus, the living Word. He came to His own and they didn't receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, to those who believe in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. What a powerful statement. There were some people who said, nah, it's not for me. But to those who did receive Jesus Christ, who believed in Him, He gives them the right and the power to become a child of God.